All right, so we are uh, in the book of Hebrews where we have just read by faith. I didn't count. Anybody count? Lots of times. Lots of times. And as we have uh, discovered, a life that is lived on mission can only be done as we live by faith. It cannot happen any other way. So we start thinking about missional living. Um, let me recap for all of us that we are in a series called Family Values. As we look at family values, these are the things that the Grove as a family values. So like this is just picture yourself at a big dinner table and we're all kind of hanging out. We're going to feast on God's word and we're with our brothers and sisters and then we're just listening to God or our dad tell us the things that we value as a family. And so far we've talked about being gospel centered, that we would have repentance and and faith at the heart of what we do and how we live, that that would be a part of, uh, really the center of, of what we do, uh, that we are a faithful family together. We live as brothers and sisters united underneath um, our Father, that we are the priesthood of believers, that we are a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood that we talked about last week. This week, out of that priesthood, what do we do? First Peter 2 would say that we are all these things, a holy priesthood, a chosen nation, all those things, so that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who brought us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. So then as priests, we must be proclaimers, aka missionaries. I remember when we first started this church and the night that I put before everyone, Surprise, you are a missionary. I thought for sure our core group of 30 adults was gonna turn into a core group of about six, two of which were me and my wife. But that's not what happened. Instead, the faithfulness of God was shown and we started to grow a little bit. And the reason why we started to grow a little bit was because God's favor and also we started to live out of an identity of being missionaries, to be able to bring gospel intentionality into every relationship that God would grant us. I'll talk more about that. If you're here and you're thinking to yourself, goodness gracious, missional living again? Do we have to talk about being missionaries in our neighborhoods? Somebody told me last week, hey, do you think we could work in the whole neighborhoods, networks, and nations thing a little bit more in our church? And I was like, probably so. And then someone literally said it from the stage right after he said that. Um, and so it's just a part of our DNA, right? It's that we're, we're going to be an outward people, not an inward people. We're going to be an, an outreach people. Um, we're going to be a missional people. And so that's what we believe that God has called this church to be about is bringing the gospel to our, oh, I'm gonna work it in, neighborhoods, networks, and nations, right? That's who we are called to be. That's part of our DNA. And if you're thinking to yourself, like my friend at Starbucks this morning, when I shared with him, he goes, hey man, what's on like, the, what's the plan for today? And I said, we're gonna talk about missional living. And he's like, I can pick up context clues as to what that means, but I'm not really sure. He's a believer, very invested in the church, doesn't know what missional living is. And I would bet that there are many people here that don't know what missional living is. Let me define it for us. Missional living is bringing gospel intentionality to everyday rhythms with the purpose to invite others to follow Jesus. Gospel intentionality meaning we're gonna bring the message of the gospel with the same intentionality that Jesus left heaven to earth to come for us, we're gonna be just as intentional with others. We're not gonna rely on our own power, instead we're gonna rely on the transforming power of the gospel. And as we do that, we are going to bring intentionality into relationships with which those God puts in our path. We heard a little bit about that from the Mishra's. And if you're thinking to yourself, man, that sounds good for people that are up on stage, but that's not for me, let's bring us back to being a, a priest, that you are a priest so that we may proclaim. But let me also paint a picture for you. 
There's a, uh, an extensive article that was put out last year called The Great Opportunity. And uh, you can find it online, it's, it's for free. You can download it, it's like 134 pages. And The Great Opportunity is basically this, that in the next 30 years, we will have, we Christians, will have the greatest opportunity to evangelize the United States than there ever has been in our history. Now, you might think that's a great opportunity. It also means that there is greater and growing need. Let me show with you or share with you some statistics that come out of their predictions based on our past, our history, our, uh, as a church, because we have kind of denied this identity as missionary, um, we have let our faith slip, not only within ourselves, but within um, our own churches and of course in our nation. This is just United States stuff. So in the next 50, or excuse me, in the next 30 years, the Christian population will shrink from 73% to 59%. If you think that the Christian population right now is 73%, go talk to some people. It's going to go statistically from 73% to 59%. The nuns or those that um, don't affiliate with any religion will rise from a 17% to 30%. Are you starting to see this picture? It's going like this. Okay, over the next 30 years. Over the next 35 years, now listen. One million youth will leave our churches per year. They'll be in church, they'll be in our families. We'll disciple them, and one million per year, that's 35 million youth will walk away from the church over the next 35 years. This should start to be sobering. You can rejoice and say, man, there are 4,000 new churches that are planted every single year, praise God. Except for 3,700 churches close every year. That's a net gain of 300 churches per year in the United States to keep up with the magnitudes of people that are not just like having babies, but also coming here from other nations, right? Right? We need to double that just to keep up with population growth. We need to double the amount of churches that we plant to 8,000 just to keep up with population growth, not to mention anything else that may come our way, not to mention this spiritual growing need that is coming our way. That's from The Great Opportunity. There's another guy named David Kinneman, who's from the, Bar uh, the Barna Group. He suggests this, that the gen Generation Z, that's those that were born 1995 and beyond, so I don't know if that's some of us in this room, that would probably include some of us, but Generation Z, 1995 and beyond, so that includes my daughters, that includes my son, that includes your kids. Generation Z will be the largest population in the United States, and this is what he predicts. Only 12% will make it through the church as quote-unquote resilient disciples when they get into adulthood. Look around our church. You see how empty it is in right here? Right now, after we've put our kids back into their areas of ministry, the prediction is 12% of them will make it, holding on to their faith. That's a picture. It's a picture for us to see about the United States. What about Fort Bend County? I'm so glad you asked. Here's some statistics from the 2010 census. Now, nine years have gone by, and I'm gonna bet you, coupled up with our other statistics, things haven't gotten better. This is some statistics for us, right? 59% of residents in Fort Bend County in 2010 either declared as none or didn't register any religious affiliation. 59% of 
of your neighbors declared as none or no religious affiliation. Catholics and Protestants combined make up 34%. Combined. It's 20% Protestant, 14% Catholic. Combined, we make up 34%. Think about that statistic. The fastest growing group from 2000 to 2010 with an increase of 581% growth are Muslims. Now, I don't want you to think about a particular ethnic group. I want you to think about a faith, okay? Because if you think about a faith, that's different than a particular type of ethnic group. We start thinking about that, then all of a sudden it's not like, oh, well, that's how they are. It's what they believe. And that's different in how we engage. So we put all these statistics up here. What's your response Deep down, like for real, if you had some, just a moment of self-awareness, what would your response be? Because my prayer is that if there's anything less than spirit dependence to go, oh my goodness, not only is it out there, it's in here. Our kids are gonna walk away. Our neighbors don't even care. And their neighbors or our neighbors are, are, are leaving or not even interested in this Jesus that we proclaim. What do we do about that? See, I, my prayer is that we would move beyond winning arguments because that's not the point. Like I love the way that, that Kelly and Stephen talked this morning, really, really Kelly, talked this morning about just being with people and having a presence with people. She's not trying to win an argument. She's just trying to invite that person to follow Jesus. But this is, this is real. Like hell is a real place and, and people that do not know Jesus will go there and at the end of the day, the people that you work next to, live next to, coach alongside of in baseball and soccer and softball, if they don't understand, hear, and therefore repent and believe in the gospel, they will die and they will meet Jesus and he will make them pay for their own sin. Or, we share Jesus with them. We pick up this call to do the hard thing of being a missionary. And our friends that we love, our family that we love and know, the people that we're alongside in this journey of life, that we only get one life to live and that God has somehow in his sovereignty put these people with us in this journey. If we would see these people as people that are truly going to pay for their sin for all of eternity, if we see that, we can either go, okay, they're gonna pay for their sin or I want to invite them to believe, to put their trust in the one who has already paid for their sin. They don't have to pay for their sin. Well, I invite them to know him because that's the eternal equation that's before us. And I wanna paint that picture for us because it's real. Not to put guilt on us, that doesn't belong. But to have us understand, man, there should be a conviction in us that goes beyond well, it's just awkward. I don't really know what to do. I, I've started many a missional conversation with, hey, how can I pray for you today? That's it. Even atheists are cool with you praying for them. They don't want to do it, but they're cool if you have the conviction to do it. Hey, how can I pray for you today? Just, I'm going to be walking around. I'm going to be doing my thing, but I want to be praying for you. God put me in, in, in your life for a reason, even if it's for five minutes. How can I pray for you? Starbucks barista. You know, people have come to our church, been partners of our church because it started with that question. That's a real life scenario that we can all enter into. 
In other real life scenarios that have been lived out in history, one of which I'm a little obsessed with this guy named Moses in the Old Testament, so much so that I named my son after him. And, and, and I think in Hebrews, we can start to see what are some lessons from Moses' life for us to be able to live faithfully as missionaries here? How can we look at Moses' life and go, okay, there's some missional living lessons for us just out of these several verses in the book of Hebrews. So there are five of them. And I know what you're thinking. That dude couldn't even get through one point last week and he's gonna get through five today. We're gonna give it a shot, okay? So five lessons on missional living. Again, missional living is not hosting Christian events at a building and inviting other Christians to come to it. That's not missional living. Missional living also isn't going down to places like attack poverty and serving with your hands and never opening up your mouth for the gospel. It also isn't going to Depelchin, which we love. My kids were outside yesterday raising money for Depelchin. I don't know where they get this idea, but they go for it. Outside, that, if we go to Depelchin and never open our mouth to share the gospel, that's not missional living. That's serving. That's something, and that's good. But missional living is something far greater than just showing up and serving with our hands or hosting events so that other people that probably affirm the same things we do will show up and boost our numbers for a weekend. Instead, missional living, again, is bringing gospel intentionality to everyday rhythms with a purpose to invite others to follow Jesus. These everyday rhythms we talk about, and we have a whole sermon series on our website, if you want to go listen to it, called Rhythms of Grace. They are eating with one another. What would it look like to have a meal with a non-believer? It's why we've done the summer challenge, right? That you would listen to their story, that you would celebrate with them, that you would find ways to rest with them, and that you would look for ways to bless them. But let's look at the five lessons from the life of Moses on how to live missionally. Number one, first and foremost, as is a, uh, uh, evident in Moses' life, missional living began with someone else. Look at this uh, passage in Hebrews 11, which was already read, but we're gonna, we're gonna unpack it together here. 11.23, the Bible says this, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Missional living. You are a Christian because someone else brought the gospel to you. Just like with Moses' life, his parents saw his beauty. They saw his value. And they, they, they counted the cost. And they said, you know what? If you don't know the story of Moses, he had older brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam. So can you imagine yourself in a situation where you're in Egypt, you're an Israelite or a Hebrew, and you're there and you are multiplying. The, the, the nation of Israel is multiplying inside of Egypt and the Pharaoh is getting nervous. And he looks out and he goes, look at the nation of Israel. They are multiplying like crazy. We've got to stop this somehow. So Pharaoh's grand idea is to kill their babies. That's what Pharaoh did. And so he put an edict out to say every firstborn son must be killed. And just so happened that Moses was born during that time. And what did Moses' parents do? They hid him for three months, even though they had Aaron, even though they had Miriam, right? They hid him for three months. Can you imagine? Can, have you ever tried to hide a newborn? <laughs> the answer is yes, you have. You've been in this room and you've tried to hide your newborn. And then you go, oh, this is a bad idea. I got to get out of here. 
You can't hide a newborn. It's impossible. And yet Moses' parents, by faith, hid their newborn baby boy for three months until they could not hide him anymore. And by faith, they put him in a basket and pushed him towards the palace. What would you have done? You've got two. You'd do anything for those two. Wouldn't you? All of a sudden, you get word that baby boy, he's on his way. And Pharaoh said, what? Pharaoh what? He's gonna kill. What would you do? You can't get out. There's no way to get out. By faith. See, by faith, they, they put aside the, the safety of their family. They put Moses in the water. By faith, they hid him. But they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith. They considered the beauty of Moses greater and higher than their own safety. That's the beginning of missional living, is that someone else did that for you. Have you, have you thought about that person in a while? Maybe it was your mom, maybe it was your dad, maybe it was a Sunday school teacher, maybe it was a small group leader, maybe, maybe it was my young life leader and one of my best friends at the time. But they just, they gave up some comforts, drove across the state to be with me, to share the gospel with me again and again and again. Even though I would tell them, guys, I got this. I know the gospel. I'm good. Appreciate you coming. They didn't give up. They knew what was in my heart more than I knew what was in my heart. Have you thought about those people that brought the gospel to you? Have you shot them a text or an email or a note? Just say, hey, I just want you to know, my marriage would be a wreck without you. My parenting, I have no idea how to parent because I wouldn't have the spirit of wisdom in me on how to do this. My life would be a complete train wreck without your investment in me. Can you, in gratitude, first point of application, can you, in gratitude, just text or call or just reach out to that person this week and go, hey, I just want you to know, without your investment in me, I'd be toast. I love you. I haven't talked to you in forever. I know this is awkward, but I'm gonna get past that. First step, I'm gonna get past the awkwardness of not reaching out to you for three years first step in missional living is realizing that your salvation began with someone else living missionally, valuing you above themselves. That's the only way we'll move forward, right? Second step in missional living, or the second lesson from Moses' life, is that it is a battle of the will. Verses 24, 25, and 26. Look at these words that the writer of Hebrews talks about with Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, and by the way, we all got a grown up not grown up, we all gotta grow up. There's a trap in missional living that we gather and then we grow and then after we get done growing, then we'll go. That's a trap. Because here's the thing about growing. You never feel mature or ready enough to go. Remember when you had your first kid? Remember that? For those of you that had your first kid and have had that, that has happened, remember when you got married? Those of you that haven't had kids yet, but you're married, you weren't ready to be married, but you did it anyways. Remember when you had your first kid? You definitely weren't ready for that, but you did it anyways, and you're here, and your kids are alive, and everything is well and good, right? This is the missional life that we grow up, and we go, man, I'm not ready for that, but we're going to do it anyways. I'm not ready to get married, but I love it so much, I want to go do that. You don't know what you love. You think you know what you love. When you, get, you have kids, you don't know. 
you think you're selfish just because you just got married. Wait until you have kids, then you realize you're really selfish. This is the missional life, that we would die to ourselves, grow up, and then choose. That's what Moses did. By faith, when he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. There's only one thing better than being the son of Pharaoh, I would imagine, and that is being the grandson of Pharaoh. Because if you're my son, I'm gonna correct you, but if you're my grandson, I'm gonna spoil you like a crazy person, right? That's what you do as grandparents, apparently. I don't know, I'm not there yet, but if you're a grandparent, that's what you do, yes? Okay, we've got amens from the right here, perfect. That's what they do, right? You, you spoil your grandson, and he is known as the grandson of the Pharaoh. He refused that spoiling. He refused that identity. He put it off. Verse 25, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. Will you choose to be mistreated with God's people? And that's not the only thing he chose. Rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, verse 26, he considered the reproach, the sufferings, the abuse of Christ. And when he considered those things, he considered them to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. I don't know what kind of reward Egypt had. I'm gonna bet it was a lot. I'm gonna bet if you're the grandson of the Pharaoh, you have access to a lot of the treasures of Egypt. You've been brought into the back secret rooms where you just look at gold and you're like, oh my gosh. But he considered the abuse of Christ greater than those treasures. It's the battle of the will, this missional living. Moses refuted his old identity. And if you can imagine with me like the privilege that that would have brought him, the ego that that would have built for people to literally bow down to him along the way. But Moses refused that identity as a son of a slave master and identified himself with a, as a son of God. If we are going to live missionally, we must make the same decisions. Living missionally will not come without difficulty, without choosing pain over comfort. I don't know if y'all are hearing that. It's going to be painful. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be awkward. And we can choose to just dig into that pool or we can choose to stay out of it. The Bible is calling us to make disciples. Therefore, we must choose pain, discomfort over pleasure and privilege. I didn't know that next week was Philippians 2 for um, our kids to memorize. I also didn't know that it was 9, 10, and 11. But I do wanna just consider Philippians 2, 4 through 8 for us. Because I think this is the heart of the message for us. The greatest missionary that ever lived was Jesus. He left his home and the comforts of his home and he came to earth where his enemies dwelled. Those that he created would then try and, and overwhelm him with fear and intimidation and he stayed on mission for us. This is what the Bible says in Philippians 2, 4. Now, talking to Christians, Paul says this, let each of you look not only to his own interests, you and I will never be missional as long as we're looking to our own interests. If Moses looked to his own interests, there would be no nation of Israel, there would be no exodus, there would be no us. Each of us, 
Each of you, not looking to his own interest, but also to the interests of others, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus has given you this mind to consider others. Now we can hijack it back with the flesh, but life in the spirit is having other interests over ourselves. And it continues, verse six, who, though he was in the form of God, did not equality with God a thing to be grasped. So he's not in heaven sitting on his throne grasping it. Instead, he emptied himself. Emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in the human form, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Will we grasp onto our thrones? Or will we release and go seek the interests of others. You see, friends, we are next in a long line of people that have put down their rights so that they may seek life for other people. This is not in my notes, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. So, Eddie, yeah. Hebrews 11, 35. You, you, you should be in your Bible in Hebrews 11, just, just a little bit further down. Look at this long list of people that we are next in the line of people that have given up their rights for the sake of others. Verse 35, women receive back their dead by resurrection. We like that. That's good. We like people coming up from resurrection and receiving them. The women that were widows, now they're not, and it's great. But it continues, some were tortured. These are talking about the saints of old refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. This is your spiritual heritage, friends. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Look what the Bible says about those that would be mistreated. Of whom the world was not worthy. wandering about in the deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And then verse 39, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not uh, be made perfect. It's another way of saying like, these guys didn't even reap the reward. You know, Moses didn't make it to the promised land. His faithfulness and all that he gave up wasn't rewarded with this, Moses, if you give these things up, I'll bring you to the promised land. It was, you will know that I am with you. We need the assurance of the presence of God that comes as we consider others over ourselves. Third, missional living. Missional living is not just that it started with someone else, not just that it is the battle of the mind that we would choose to be uh, dis- uncomfortable, but instead choose the, the interests of others, but also, thirdly, it is fueled by reward. Let me read 26 and 27 out of Hebrews again. He considered, Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. The thing that allowed Moses to do the thing that was super uncomfortable for him and that he fought with God about, like he didn't want to do it, but he did it anyways. Like I love, we don't like Moses, because he goes to God and God says, hey, I want you to do these things. And he literally says this to God, Lord, please send somebody else. Have you felt that way? I felt that way. 
Lord, please send somebody else. I don't want to do this. And God says, no, 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 I've appointed you. This is your mission. All right, I'll go. But you're going to have to do some crazy stuff with the staff. He doesn't say that, but it feels like he should have. Right, But it is fueled by reward. It wasn't just the crazy stuff of the staff that, that was his reward. It was eternal reward. Do you know that God has stored up for you reward? When's the last time you thought about the treasuries of heaven? When's the last time you thought about the command from Jesus to say, store up yourself, for yourselves treasures in heaven? 2 Corinthians would talk about this in regards to eternal reward. So whether we are at home, this is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9. So whether we are at home or away, in heaven or here, we make it our aim to please Jesus, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is the first time you're hearing that. As believers, we will, there's a judgment seat, the Bema seat, that he will judge our works while in the body so that each one may receive what is due for him, what he has done in the body, meaning in the church, in, as a part of the body of Christ. As a believer, he will sit and he will judge whether we've done good or whether we've done evil. Okay, that's before us. That's also what's before Moses. All right, man, well, if I'm, like, I'm accepted by Jesus, but there's more to be known. There's more to live for other than just foundational acceptance. There's the glory of God and not the glory of me. So then 1 Corinthians continues on in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 11, thank you. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is, laid, uh, which is Christ Jesus. In other words, the foundation of your faith is secure. It's Christ. However, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. So here's the picture. We who are in heaven, our works will be thrown into the fire, and if they're done selfishly or in duty or just for ourselves to build our own kingdom, they're wood, hay, and straw, and they're gonna be burned up by fire. Because fire, Hebrews 12 would say, or is it 10, he talks about how he is, the, our God is a consuming fire. Right? If you don't know this, I'm, I'm just bringing us into this reward situation. If we do things selfishly while in the body, then these things get burned up with hay and straw and rubble. But if we do them for the glory of God and not for ourselves, they are counted as precious stones, gold and silver. And there is reward waiting for us. I think about it like an athletic banquet. Like everybody at the athletic banquet, they were on the team. But now there are a few that are gonna be recognized for their achievements. Right? Everybody is on the team and everybody did great. We had a great season and we were undefeated and this, that, and the other. But man, there's an MVP, there's an offensive MVP, there's a defensive MVP. These are the things that are being raised up for us as we continue in the Lord. Will we have that mindset? Because it continues on. If the work that anyone has been built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. God wanting to be generous over us. But if anyone's work is built up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. He will be saved, but only as through fire. You get into heaven and you smell like a dirty ashtray, but you're grateful that you're there. <laughs> right? So that's an old thing that I say to myself, apparently. But how about you? Are you focused on the things that you're going to lose by making disciples? Or are you focused on that which you shall gain? Are you focused on that which you will lose in making disciples? You might lose a relationship. 
You might lose some comfort. You might lose the security that comes with not being awkward. Will you put those things aside so that, because what is it that God may have in store for you if we would walk in faith and trusting him? That's number three. Number four, missional living happens as we remember God's mercy. Verse 28, by faith, Moses kept the Passover and he sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. He didn't just celebrate the Passover. He didn't just do the Passover. He kept it. The Passover was instituted on the night of the 10th plague. They were coming out of Egypt and Moses went to Pharaoh nine times to this point, now to 10. He's saying, let my people go, let my people go, let my people go. Pharaoh won't let them go. And all of a sudden, the 10th plague comes. And it's the plague of the firstborn. And the Bible says the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So what did they do? God gave the Israelites the instructions for the first Passover, that they would kill a spotless lamb and put that spotless lamb blood all over their wooden door frames so that when the destroyer came through, he would see the blood of the lamb and pass them over. And he headed into Egypt. And there was no lamb to be found. There was no blood to be found in Egypt and the firstborn of even Pharaoh was taken. Now, most of us think that that's like the firstborn babies, but firstborn, you could be 45 and be the firstborn. Exactly. It's shocking to everyone, right? You could be, the, you could be, 40, you could be, you could be 75 and be a firstborn and you're gone in a moment so that wake, they wake up and there is great wailing in the nation of Egypt. That's the, the reality of this Passover. And Moses kept it for 40 years in the desert. And if we're going to be missional, we must keep in mind the greater mercy that is found in the true and greater Passover. The blood of the spotless lamb was spilled on the wooden frames of a cross so that the destroyer of the firstborn doesn't kill us, but instead destroys the firstborn on the cross so that we might be passed over if we would just spread the blood of the lamb over our lives and live as people that are fully forgiven. You see, when we keep that in our mind and realize that there's a whole Egypt out there that doesn't have this message, then surely we keep this Passover in our mind and we can go with them fully forgiven and empowered by the Spirit to bring this good news that forgiveness is available if they would just believe in the greater and true Passover lamb of Jesus. You keep the mercies of God before us. We were in 1 Peter 2 last week, right? This is what we read last week, 1 Peter 2, verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race. Look at you now. Look at the mercy of God. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? So that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're not even not just a people, you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We will not proclaim if we do not keep the mercy of God the forefront of our minds. Fifth and finally, Missional living started with someone else and ends with someone else. Fifth lesson from the, Moses, from the life of Moses on missional living puts others 
first. Verse 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. You ever wonder what's waiting on the other side of your obedience? You ever wonder who is waiting on the other side of your obedience? For Moses, the whole nation of Israel was awaiting his obedience. And it took him 40 years to go shepherd sheep to get his mind right that Pharaoh maybe isn't a good dad, maybe he's a slave master. And then what does that do for my understanding of like fatherhood and God and authority? 40 years he shepherds sheep and God prepares him and then he heads back into Egypt and he's faithful because there are a whole nation of people awaiting his obedience. Who is awaiting ours? Who is awaiting our obedience to God? Will we dare to be obedient to God when he told all of us, all of us to go and make disciples, to risk rejection, to get into and swim in awkwardness at the loss of whatever we hold dear and true? Just as Moses led an entire nation through the dry land into their promised land as a kingdom, so is a kingdom of priests, of sisters and brothers awaiting to come and dine at the wedding banquet of God where they will see and taste that the Lord is good. I don't know about you, but like I have people in my mind. And if you don't have people in your mind, you don't have names to faces of all those statistics that by 2050, all these realities will come true. I've got, I've got, names and faces in my mind of who those people are. Some of them are like contractors that have come over to the house over the years. Some of those are people that I meet at Starbucks. Some of those are people that I meet out at the softball field or the baseball field. Do you have people, faces and names of people that are awaiting to receive the good news of Jesus? Because just like Kelly said earlier, there are people that God has put in your path I can't reach. Only, only you have been sent there at work, wherever it may be, with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the words of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, don't worry about what you're gonna say. Don't rehearse it. Instead, trust the Holy Spirit to say what needs to be said in the moment. Will we trust him in those moments at the grocery store? Or will we go, ooh, I see them, not gonna do it, mm-mm. We lean in and go, you know what? God's put me in this position with that person. It's like the third time I've seen that, seen that person. We need to, I gotta engage. We see these holy divine appointments or we see them as inconveniences to the efficiency of our lives. That's me anyways. There's a whole nation of people awaiting our obedience. So my last thing is this as I close. The danger is to read the Bible and go, man, that's Moses' life, man. Like he led a whole nation of people out of there. This is the hall of faith. I mean, these are people that like are written about literally for thousands of years. You want me to do what they did? I mean, my name is not worthy to be counted amongst all these names to which I go, yeah, that's probably true, me too. But in the book of Hebrews, this is the beauty of the Bible. In the book of Hebrews, it's all by faith. By faith, Moses did these things. By faith, Moses chose not to uh, be counted amongst uh, the treasuries and the comforts of Egypt, but he laid those things down. Have, have you read the book of Exodus? Because he struggled through every single step. 
When, when God called him to do it, he said, no thanks, find another Yahoo for that job, I'm out. When, when, when he sees mistreatment of the Hebrew people, he murders an Egyptian and he flees Egypt. It's in that moment that he found, you know what? This ain't worth it anymore. I'd rather be mistreated like these guys than to let, just let this continue to happen. When he's leading the nation of Israel for 40 more years through the desert and then never makes it to Israel, he struggles with leading them well, leading them patiently. He asks God to kill him. By faith, Moses did these things. You see, in the moment, we're struggling through every decision that we make, and it doesn't feel like faith. It feels like anger, and it feels like trials, and it feels like, oh. And then someone's going to write about us years from now, and then I go, man, that guy and that girl, they were faithful. They were faithful. That's my prayer for us, is that we would see this eternal perspective and see that every little moment that we're struggling with our flesh and with inconvenience and X, Y, or Z, that at some point we'll look back and be like, man, I had no idea what I was doing, but God was faithful as I stepped into the unknown. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful that you have sent your word, not just the Bible, but the word, Jesus, who the scriptures say, the word was with God and the word was God and he was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything that was made. And in him was life. Pray that we would find our life in him. That we would find ourselves hidden in the clefts of the rock of Jesus. We would not find our identity anywhere else we would pick up the identity of missionary as, 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 a, as a financial advisor. We'd pick up our identity as a missionary, as a teacher. We'd pick up our missionary identity as, as we're students and as we're nurses, as we're stay-at-home moms, as we're dads who were way overpressured and overworked in the oil field. Whatever it is that we're going to be sent out to do this week, Lord, Holy Spirit, I beg of you, help us see with your eyes. Help us see the things that you're, you're doing, the lostness and the brokenness that is all around. If we could just see what you're up to and just step into those difficult moments. Give us courage let the words fear not be a banner over us for you are with us. As we respond today, I pray, Lord, that we, if we don't have a name and a face to the person that needs Jesus through us, I pray that you would, you would bring lost people into our lives and that we would see them. We would recognize who they are and that you'd give us the opportunity to build relationship with them with gospel intentionality into rhythms of eating and listening, celebrating, resting, and blessing them. This isn't about tracts to hand out. This is about living as Christians with non-Christians in such a way that they might be curious about the hope that we have and we might be able to give that hope to them. Would you help us? We can't do this without you. 
So whatever strategies we're thinking that we need, we know the Holy Spirit, you will give those things to us. May we be hospitable. May we use our gifts and live in our priesthood for your glory and not our own. And may we sing to your glory and not our own. In Christ's name we pray, amen.